All right, do we have everybody? All right, guys. You know, that song we just sang, you know, it kind of reminded me of a Christmas um, show that we uh, I've we've watched a long time ago, and uh, still I think it's still played today. You guys ever hear of the Grinch? Yes. You like watching the Grinch every year? You know the Grinch hated Christmas. Yeah. Yep. And he tried to prevent it from coming, right? Why? They sang loud? This, this may take a while. <laughs> huh? What? What is it? He tried to change something. The heart was too small. There you go. The heart was too small. Right? But, but you're right, because you know what happens? He takes the Christmas tree, all the presents, all the feasts, right? And he, he gets up on Christmas, th- Christmas morning, and he wants to hear people cry and boo-hoo and stuff. But what's he hear? He hears them singing and praising, right? And you know what happens to his heart? It, it, grows. it grows three, yeah. And so then he goes and he celebrates Christmas with them because he realized that it wasn't about the gifts and it wasn't about the trees and the decorations or the food, right? It was something about something more important, right? But you know what? That story is true for us today, too. Because you know what? We're all born Grinches. Scripture says that we're born with hard hearts. That we do. <laughs> no, no pointing fingers here. Yeah. Um, we're all born with hard hearts. And that we don't love God. And we don't love like we should. Right? But Jesus came to change that. He doesn't, he doesn't give us bigger hearts. He doesn't improve our hearts. He gives us new hearts. Heart, his heart, right? Heart to love him and to love others, right? And just like the Grinch found Christmas, you know what we find? We find the Christ of Christmas, right? That's what that story is all about, at least to me. Anyway, let's pray for that. Let's pray that we all find the Christ of Christmas this year, right? And everyone can find the Christ of Christmas. You okay? Okay. Father, we, uh, we do thank you. I thank you for these young hearts, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that um, Christmas would be for them, for all of us, would be more than the gifts, more than the decorations, more than the food. But Christmas would be about you. Um, and not just your birth, but what you came and what you did and who you are right now, um, changing our hearts, that we might bring you glory and honor and worship. I pray, Lord, that um, we love Christmas, Lord, because it just reminds us of who you are, not just who you've been, but who you are today in our lives. And I pray for these young hearts, Lord, that they would always know that every Christmas, Lord, would just be a reminder of who you are uh, that would last throughout the year. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's children say, Amen. 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 Uh, no more. Okay. <laughs> Amen.
Thank you. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. There's this um, classic video on uh, Planet Earth. Has anybody ever watched Planet Earth? Uh, the, I don't know, the first one or the second one. It's these iguanas, and they are uh, they're on this island, and the the mother, the female iguana, lays anywhere between. 14 and 75, 76 eggs. And she buries them in the sand to, to incubate. And they hatch in June. And they stick up their little heads from the sand. And then they have to make a run for it because this island is full of snakes. And you just see these little baby iguanas with their legs flailing about trying to Run to safety. If you haven't see it, you seen it, you got to see it. Most of them don't make it. Most of them feed the snakes. The snakes are waiting for them to, to hatch, and they come after them. But the ones who do, they make the run for it, and they jump up, and they're climbing up the rocks, and they, they meet their families at the top in, in safety, and live their lives until it's their turn to be a part of that, that process. And we see the same sort of process, I guess, in many different species of God's creatures, lay as many eggs, have as many babies, and hopes that some will survive to grow into this family. And we think sometimes that's how God works with salvation. He, he saves a, a whole bunch of people who become his children in hopes that some will endure to the end, that God plays the percentages. He knows the danger that is in this world, and it's like he is just waiting in heaven for those who don't get devoured by the snakes. We see in this passage, Romans 8 28 through 30, that God does not leave it up to chance, but has created a golden chain of salvation. So let me read verses 28 to 30. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We see that God does not leave things up to chance, nor does he leave his children on their own with the snakes of this world. He is faithful. And what he says he'll do, he will do. And he'll do it in a way that brings him 
the most glory and that we will be the most blessed. That's something for us to stop and ponder and think about for a minute. Because a lot of times we see the things in life and we see the things that have happened in life and we see the hardships that we have gone through or we see the sins that we've committed. And we we dream about maybe there is a, a better way that I could be made more like Christ or a better way that my eyes or my children's eyes or someone who I've loved, their eyes could be open to see the glory of God. But God works in the best way. And when he works, he does it in the way in which we will be most blessed and it will be the most effective way. So I want to look today and to see the way in which he works, see the surety of salvation that he promises in this passage and that golden chain of salvation, and then look at how he works out that surety for his glory. So first, in verse 30, we see that God saves those, not some of those. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the first point of attention to a couple grammatical hints to the work of God here. Paul does not say some of those. He says those. He does not say some of those who he predestined. He also called. And some of those whom he called, he also justified. And some of those whom he justified, he also glorified. As if God had a great big pot, predestined, and selected some out of that pot to be called. And out of the ones that are called, he took some of those who were called and he justified them. He made them, put them in right standing. And some of those who were put in right standing, he carried along to the end and will be glorified. He doesn't say that. He says those. Those, if God predestined, then he called. And those very same ones, not some of those whom he called, those whom he called, he justified. So if he planned it, he called those whom he planned. And if he called them, then he carried it out. And if he carried it out, he brought them into right standing with himself, and he finished it. He brought those to glorification. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Something else to notice here, notice the past tense of the words predestined, called, justified, glorified. It has happened. The tense actually in the Greek is what they call an aorist active tense, and it signifies a completion, a wholeness of events having happened. When we feel like we are messing up our salvation or losing our salvation, or we think God has grown tired and weary of our sinning. 
or that we have used up our last chance, we can recall that even though at times it seems like we wonder or give up, God does not wonder or give up on us. Is it once saved, always saved? I would say sort of. I would say if we really are saved, then we are guaranteed that we will be saved. We will guarantee that he is saving us now. So who is that person? Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a guarantee of God's working here. Now this, this passage we're, we're being led under the hood here. What we see is we see the things we go through in life. We see that events soften our hearts. Experiences teach and show us something. And part of that experience shows us that God is real. And we have sinned against that God. And we have a choice to make. Do I, do I follow God? Do I submit my life to him? Do I call on Jesus as Lord or do I continue in this life of sin? And we make that choice. And we follow God. And then we share him with others. And we, we plead with them. And we point them to the glory of Jesus Christ and plead with them to follow Jesus, to submit their lives, to repent of their sins. In the same way, this is what we see on the surface level. But underneath it all is what is happening here in verse 30. That's how God is working. How God has planned these things. How God is the one who called. How God is the one who causes new birth and causes us to see that. How God gives us a heart to follow him. God who puts us in right standing with himself and God who carries that all the way to the end. These can exist together, what we experience and what we see and how God is really working. Bob Johnson can testify to you that I have zero, if any, clue how things work under the hood of a car. Amen? <laughs> I know how to turn it on, how to fuel it, how to drive it, how it gets where it's going. But under that hood, there are some things happening in the works that, that enables that and ensures that happens. Paul gives us a glimpse here under the hood of how God works. Not to start great doctrinal arguments, but to testify how great our God is and what we see going on to encourage us in that walk that we walk with him. He starts with this predestinance. Now, the definition of predestined, straight from my Bible dictionary, is to determine something ahead of time before its occurrence. God determined ahead of time that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. When he's talking about predestined here, this is the focus of it. Us being conformed in goal, in body, or glorified state, in the meantime, 
our sanctification happening. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. He is predestined that this will happen. Some say it's not fair of God to do this. And Paul will get to that argument in chapter 9. But was it fair of God to choose Israel over all other nations? Is it fair for him to choose any of us? We know that we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. That none will choose him on our own. Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 3, none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And just earlier in chapter 8, Verses 7 and 8, he says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, enemies of God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if no one is seeking him and no one is pleasing him and we cannot change our hearts to do so, how is it that any would come to God? He must intervene. Right, that great But God, in Ephesians chapter 2, right? We are dead in the sins and trespasses in which we once walked. And he gets to the point, but God, right? But God being rich in mercy. So God must intervene. And if he's to do so, how is he to do so? How is he determined then, if I've got to intervene here, who's worthy of me saving And if all of us are unworthy of saving, then what has to happen? You can look in your Bibles in the next chapter, Romans chapter 9, verse 10 and following. Speaking about Rebecca, verse 10. Not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac recalled that she was pregnant with twins, Jacob and Esau, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So it's God. He's going to step in. He's going to intervene. He's going to change hearts. We don't know. We don't know if he's walking around with a sign above their head. We don't know. So we share the gospel with everyone. We plead Jesus to every single human soul. We don't know what God is doing underneath. We don't know what God will do, so we share him. We're people motivated by the gospel. We're people who love the lost, who go out and share the gospel with the lost. We're people who have compassion on people who are in their sin or people who are dead in their sin. So we share the gospel with them. 
and we pray and we plead with God. And we'll get to that more in depth in chapter 9, but today you need to see that if God is going to make that choice, that it is not based on anything we say or we do. It had to have been done before we existed. We were foreknown by God. We were chosen before time for him to pour out his covenant love upon us. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. He determined ahead of time before its occurrence. And I want you to see the beauty in this. When God writes these things in the Bible, it's not for us to have arguments. It's for us to see how glorious he is. It's for us to see how wonderful he is. It's for us to proclaim his excellencies. If it was nothing you did to earn it, then it was a free gift of God. And we call that gift grace. So it's a salvation by grace that we exercise through faith. And if it's a free gift from God, a gift of grace, then God is the one who gets the glory. And if you can't earn it, you certainly can't lose it. We've heard it said that the question isn't why did God choose some and not choose others, but God, why would God choose anyone? Or why would God choose me? That's what I think. If it were based on the lives we lived or the white lives we had lived, I'm the biggest sinner in here. There's no reason for him to look at me and say he's worthy. But the answer is that he didn't choose me because of my worthiness. He did because of his glory. And for his glory, then it cannot depend on us. I did not lack or need anything. We can't give him something that he's missing. We can recognize his glory on display. That's how we glorify. That's how we give glorify glory to God. We're recognizing what is already existing. So he, he, it's not like he was missing glory and, and he said, let me save him so I can fill up on that glory. It doesn't depend on human will or exertion. And if it cannot depend on us, then it must have happened before any of us did any good or bad. And if it was before any good or bad was done, then it was done before we were born. And if it was done before we were born, then God predestined it to happen. Paul has a bigger point in mind here, though, and that is the surety of God's finishing what God starts. We are called, we are justified. Remember, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. Remember from a few weeks ago that our calling is not just the gospel message going out. That is our responsibility in the calling. The gospel message goes out. It goes out to everyone. But when God does the calling, it's an effectual calling and an effectual answering of this call. 
He called us out of darkness and into light. He called Lazarus out of the tomb. He called Abraham. Chapter 4, verse 17 says, As is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God who, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things do, that do not exist. So when God calls, the, the things that do not exist don't have uh, the opportunity to say no thank you. When God calls, it happens. And we know this. And when God calls the predestined, he calls them effectually. And how do we know that? By the very next statement on justification. It's because those whom he called, he also justified. So just think about that for a second. Justified, to be declared righteous, to be put in right standing with God. For your sins to be counted on Jesus, on the cross, and his righteous life to be counted as yours. So in God's eyes, he looks at you and he sees the holiness of the Son, the righteousness of the Son. That's amazing. That's amazing. So those whom he called, he justified. So if he's going to call them, he's going to justify them. How does he do that right standing? That is the gospel. That is the gospel. That's what we're sharing with everybody, right? We're not... Look, God is the one that cleans up lives. Somebody's living a life of sin or somebody's had a horrible situation. Somebody's had bad relationship issues. Somebody's had problems with drugs and alcohol. We're not, we're not saying, hey, come to God and He'll fix all that. God handles that. God handles that in his own time. We're not sharing the gospel with somebody because we want their outward life to be cleaned up. People need Jesus. Their soul, their eternity is at stake. So we share the gospel so that those who are hostile to God can become in right standing with God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, hey, Christmas season, great opportunity. Maybe you're here. Maybe it's just you, you've come to Jesus for all sorts of reasons, but you never really reckoned with the fact that you are a sinner and he is a savior. And maybe today's the day that you reckon with that. And you come to him in faith that death he died on the cross was for your sins. And the life he lived was for your eternal righteousness. And that's your justification. And you're put in right standing with God. <clears throat> Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Meaning it doesn't come through obedience of the law or disobedience of the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You believe, you are righteousness of God. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need the gospel. And 
are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, means he, he put forward to appease God's wrath, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's righteous and he's the one who makes righteous or counts as righteous or declares righteous. So those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he declared righteous. Praise God. If God planned for you to be his in a way, he planned it in a way that he would get the most glory. He didn't plan it in a way that he set up this system so that you would be come into that system as uh, inserting yourself into it. He's the just and you're part of the justifier. He's the justifier. He's the one that does it. It doesn't depend on you. He had to predestine you to be his so that he could call you, so that he would justify you. And if he predestined you to be his, he had to, at some point, call you to make that happen. And this is when our new birth happens, isn't it? And we all have different stories, and these are great stories. And you should share these, how that time came in your life, whatever the circumstances, whatever the experiences, whatever you were going through, in which God opened your eyes to see your need for Jesus. Those are wonderful stories, and I love hearing them all. And no one is better than the other. And they're all miraculous. Whether you grew up in the church or you didn't. Whether you had to hear the gospel 5,000 times or it happened the first time. It's all miraculous. Every time it happens. He called you. And if he called you to him to make it happen, he had to provide a way for that to happen. And that is your justification. And all this isn't even Paul's point. <laughs> it's not even his point. But we got to get through the clarity of what's going on here. His main point is God's going to glorify you. He's going to make this happen. When we make a lot of the fact, and I already did, that glorified is past tense words, a guarantee. It's a guarantee. You should look at it, consider that it's happening. It's happening. When Jesus comes, if God called me to be his, and he went through dying on the cross for my sins, and called me to be his, when he comes, I'm going to be glorified. Praise God. That is a wonderful thing. Anybody else go through life at times think, I've really screwed this salvation thing up. I've messed this up. He's saying, hey, come back to me. I'm making this happen. So we make a lot of this past tense. It shows that it's completed from the start. Once God predestined it, the final act of glorification is a done deal. 
But let's remember the context of the passage. Paul is encouraging the Romans in the final redemption of their bodies, their realized adoption, the end glorification. But he's also making this point that God is working out all things for our good. And what is that good that he's working all things out for? It's the conforming us to the image of his son. Our growing in Christ-likeness, our growing in holiness, our growing in godliness, our sanctification. Remember what I talked about last week at the end. 2 Corinthians 3.18, talking about these very same things, Paul says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, what we're beholding, from one degree of glory to another. So as we grow like Jesus, as we, we come to saving faith, he's putting his glory upon us, not for our praise, but, but for that blessing of that. He's putting his glory upon us, and as we're being sanctified, we're being transformed spiritually now in this life into a more glorious form. That is what is happening in our growth, in our sanctification, in our growth in godliness, Christ-likeness, growth in holiness, whatever you want to call it. We're being glorified. We're being glorified. I lost my place. I got excited. So the promise of 830 is the guarantee of future bodily glorification, and it's the guarantee of being changed from one degree of glory to the next now in our sanctification. So the whole package then of 28 through 30 is saying we know that God will work all things together for our growing in Christ-likeness and our in-state glorification because he who predestined it calls it and he who calls it justifies it and he who justifies it glorifies it. We know it's a guarantee. It's an unbreakable chain. You can't even break it. So some application. God always works in the way in which people will be the most blessed and that he will get the most glory in predestination, in calling, in justification, sanctification, in glorification. God worked it so that he would get the most glory, not us. He could have made it any other way, right? He could have made it like those little iguana. Here's your, shot, here's your shot. Here's your opportunity. Let's see who makes it. But it's not. It's not by our own will. It's not by human exertion or our own doing. God worked it so that we also would be the most blessed any other way 
is less of a blessing. And I know we've all been in those moments that we've prayed to God and said, God, is there another way? Right? You've prayed that. I've prayed that. You may have prayed it this morning. You may be praying it now. Is there any other way that I can grow to be more like Jesus than this way? This thing that I'm going through, this thing that I've done, this pain that I'm experiencing, is there any other way? And any other way wouldn't be the best way. The God of the universe who loves you, right? Don't separate love from this. Who loves you and cares more about you than any other human could or than you care about yourself, loves you and says, this is the best way. Second, God is faithful. God is faithful. We say it, we sing it, think about it. We are prone to wonder. He's not. He is faithful. He will bring it to conclusion. What he started, he will finish because he is God. He doesn't lay the eggs and hope we all make it someday to the safety of his arms. He's always with us. He's always here. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He will do it. Every one of those promises in the Bible, because we are united to him in Christ Jesus, find their yes for us because of Jesus Christ. Cling to those promises of God. Hope in those promises of God. Trust in that. Rest in that. Rejoice in that. You are his and he is faithful. So this week, the big week, right? We prepare him room. We contemplate his coming. Advent. We remember that all of it is a plan. It was a plan is the plan. The virgin birth, born as a human baby, born in a manger, in meekness and in weakness, living a righteous life, dying a death that sinners die for us, being raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, living glorified forever as our intercessor and our king, all for your ultimate blessing and his ultimate glory. You are glorified through his glory in you, not because of you, not your will calling, justifying, glorifying, but Christ's in you. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Lord, what a gift. Forgive us, Lord, for we take this wonderful gift and this passage, passages like it, and we use them as ammunition, ammunition to divide 
ourselves when you meant it as reasons for us to praise you and glorify you. Bring us all together. Unite us as a people, as your people, with hearts of rejoicing for who you are, for what you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.